This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Great Takes Less Filling Basketball Edition. I'm your host this week, U Street. Joining me is Steve Zips of Akron. What is going on? What is going on is that the University of Minnesota escaped Loyola Marymount. What is Loyola Marymount's mascot? They are the Lions. The Lions. Escaped the the mouth of the Lions. 67-64 in a back-to-back, so a, a season sweep of Loyola Marymount. Uh, we did not do a whole heck of a lot of research, but I'm going to make this pronouncement anyway. This is probably the first time in the last 50 years that Minnesota has played the same non-conference opponent in a back-to-back situation. The Gophers didn't look amazing tonight, but we're able to come up with a win. Steve, your thoughts? Well, you know, I was, wasn't quite sure how they were going to come out after playing this, you know, the same team just two days ago. Um, it's not something you prepare for or see i mean i guess you see it once in a while maybe if you like play northwestern the last game of the season play them in the first round of the big 10 tournament but i was curious to see how which side would game plan better like would the gophers have the advantage because they have more talent and therefore would be able to patch their their holes from the previous game on saturday or would loyola marymount just have nothing to lose and come in just swinging and see what happened. You know, the, the the veritable David versus Goliath. You know, they're probably playing uh, their first Big Ten team in a while, have a chance to take down um, a, a, a better opponent. Uh, so I was kind of curious to see how that would shake out. And surprise, surprise, Loyal Marymount out uh, hustled the Gophers across the board. They had way more energy off the bench. Their entire bench, who wasn't even playing, was yelling and screaming the whole game. Meanwhile, the Gophers looked like their dog had died. Um, they were lackadaisical, fouling left and right, couldn't shoot the ball. Um, frankly, if they didn't have the talent gap that they did, they would not have survived this second game of the two-game series, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Minnesota was out-rebounded 42-30 to by Loyola Marymount, but importantly, 17 of those 42 rebounds were on the offensive side of the ball, so obviously not getting a new possession by how we calculate them, but extending possessions, getting more points. I felt that from a pace of play, Loyola Marymount also was able to dictate this game substantially more than Minnesota was. Minnesota never really had a period of time where they were able to use their talent, which is, to be clear, definitely superior to Loyola Marymount. There is no there's no view that says, oh, these are two equally talented teams. That is not true. Minnesota is a far more talented team, but Loyola Marymount, from a coaching perspective, from a hustle, from a want it, a lot of those 50-50 balls, etc., acted in ways uh, that, as the Herb Brooks aphorism goes, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard enough. Fortunately, though, at least one player on Minnesota on the offensive end's talent was uh, working hard. That would be Marcus Carr who had uh, 26 points in this game, including the game-winning three-point shot on an absolutely lovely crossover jab to free himself up and get space. Steve, I think we're both in both in agreement that Marcus Carr is our neckton of the week. 
Wow. I mean, I don't know who else you'd take. It could maybe be Boothgotch, but, I mean, in this game, 26 points, seven rebounds, three assists, just one foul. I mean, he's like Superman out there right now. And that crossover, step back, uh, can the three to, to basically win the game. It looked like one of those video game moves when you just, like NBA Live or something like that, where you just roll the roll the uh, the, the stick over, press X, drop, drop the J. It was it was beautiful, and I know it's coming against a little a little Marymount, but boy, Marcus Carr is as advertised this year for so many question marks we had coming into the season. Um, he has just been amazing, definitely living up to that preseason hype, looking like potential NBA pick. Um, I know we're three games in, but wow, he is just looking like he can do no wrong. Carr probably played too many minutes tonight because again, this was a dogfight that shouldn't have been a dogfight. I like Jamal Mashburn a lot. I like his confidence. I don't like that some of that confidence is not translating into made shots, which is a general problem that I have for Minnesota's offensive performance in this game. Gabe Kelcher, 1 of 11 from the field. Uh, Brandon Johnson, who had foul trouble all night, fouled out, only played 19 minutes, 1 of 3 from the field. Eric Curry, 2 of 5 from the field. Jamal Mashburn, 1 of 4 from the field. Not great numbers. Not great numbers from the field. In particular, and curious on your reaction for this as well, Steve, I look at this team and think that they are going to be at their best when they have two slashers on the court, someone who can just sit back and make threes all day, and letting Marcus Carr go to work. Whoever is your five, we'd imagine to be Liam Robbins, who right now seems to be a lot more Elliot Eliason than he does Daniel Oturo, but that seems to be their best. Unfortunately, in order to make that work, you need to have shooters be able to shoot, and the three-point shooting woes early in the season are slightly concerning given the much larger sample size of three-point shooting woes last season. So for you, are you concerned about this, or do you think that this is merely the first three games of non-conference are always going to be a little ugly? No, I... It seems like every year now we're hoping for those shooters to come and they just don't come. Um, we saw Gabe Kalisher in his freshman season was very adept from beyond three-point line. Looked like he was going to be that guy in the next Blake Hoffarber, something like that. But, you know, last year took a step back, still had the most made threes in the Big Ten, but also attempted the most threes. Um, and his percentage dropped. Was hoping that was a sophomore slump this year, three games in. I don't know, man. It's looking like he just still can't shoot. And he's supposed to be that wing who is breaking up the defense and allowing guys like Marcus Carr, Booth Gotch, to be able to to drive the lane and have have a little more room to operate. One for 11 in the third game. And these are not hard shots he's taking either. These are pretty wide open shots. This is the second game he hasn't made a three-pointer. And for a team that needs that type of spacing to operate – it's looking a little dicey, and I, and it's it's not it's not relegated to just Gabe Kelcher though. I mean, ton of open shots today and yesterday that are just not going through the hoop. Um, I don't know where you where you start to to triage that. I mean, you, again, this is supposed to be a team theoretically that can shoot the ball, and it's not happening. And you saw today when that starts to go haywire, the team starts to panic, and they don't have those. The, the Oturu type who's going to be able to clean the mess up down low. Yeah, it is a it is a challenge. I will say, and I mentioned this in, in the recap, but I'll say this again in terms of the podcast, Gabe Kelcher's offensive performance right now is unfortunately quite poor. He's 9 for 25 on the season. He's just 1 of 8 from 3. He didn't even attempt a 3 in the, in the second game. 
So those are those are poor numbers. It's particularly odd because he's also perfect from the free throw line this season. And those tend to correlate, tend to be the case if you're a good free throw shooter, you're a pretty good shooter in general. So I firmly believe that Gabe Kalsher, from a shooting perspective, is substantially closer to his free throw shooting than he is to his on-court performance. But there's something there, be it confidence, be it mechanics, whatever, that's not really working. What is working is his defensive performances. And that is something that you're not going to see on the stat sheet because he's not getting you know, a ton of steals, for example. Necessarily. He's got three on the season. He had one in this game that was sort of a, a knockball situation. But he also was the primary defender on three key late stops in the game. And that's really important. That's the kind of thing that Minnesota is going to need from its upperclassmen leadership. That even if stuff isn't working on the offensive end, it is working on the defensive end. A player who I'm still not sure what to make of three games into the season is Liam Robbins. And Steve, we were chatting about this previously, sort of thinking about what we were going to expect from him. Uh, Currently, we're expecting him to foul a lot. Have you seen anything else about his game going forward that makes you at least a little excited for this season? Yeah, it's funny when you see a a big man who can A, make a couple of three-point shots, and also B, be adept from the free throw line. I mean, that would indicate some sort of of, of touch, right? Um, But then you see him get the ball when he's moving, when he's getting close to the hoop, and it's looking more like Bakari Kanate than Daniel Oturu, which is concerning. Um, Maybe he's he's finding his footing, maybe he's getting getting back up for the speed of the game, but I... For a guy who looks like he has a little bit of touch, the the inability to convert closer to the hoop is definitely concerning. I know he finished today fouling out, 22 minutes. He didn't have a block shot, which is supposed to be his, you know, where, where he's where he's got the most prowess. Um, I'm, Let me just interject that he very much did have a block shot. It was just called as a foul for a mind-boggling <laughs> reason because it was super clean. He also had four fouls that were awful. <laughs> yes, yes, and you know, th- this is the third game in a row now. He's had four or more fouls, which is not sustainable. Thankfully, they have a little bit of depth down low, but this is a guy who's supposed to be a game-changer now at center, and three games in, not seeing that, or at least looking like he's got a, a, a longer ways to go than I think we would have hoped, considering uh, his pedigree coming from Drake. Yeah, I completely agree. The front court depth has been good in the sense that, well, they've got a lot of different players they can plug in, and those players don't look obviously lost out there. That's positive. That was not true last season at all, incidentally, for injuries and talent reasons. So that's good. In the backcourt, I've thought, as I said earlier, I thought Jamal Mashburn has, when he stepped into the game, has looked quite confident. He hasn't necessarily taken over any game yet. That seems pretty far away down the line though as his freshman year develops we'd like to see that more but it does look like he is a player who can at minimum give Marcus Carr breaks and that's going to be really important this year not just because of the pandemic that we live in but also practically even in an ideal scenario Marcus Carr playing so many minutes eventually is going to require him either to take sort of mini breaks on the court so not play as hard on the defensive end or uh, just kind of tire and gas out no matter how how well conditioned you are, the Big Ten season especially, is going to be mm-hmm. a challenge. Is there another player kind of in the backcourt or or the front court that you're sort of looking at as we sort of go to the next part of this schedule that you're hoping is going to kind of improve or step forward somewhere? So this is where I want to get your thoughts too. And 
I'm hoping this is the season where it clicks, but three games in, it's still looking like he's trying to find his footing. Is Trey Williams? You know, he's got a, a four-star guy coming in. You expect a you know a, a a year for him to get acclimated, but I was hoping this would be the beginning of a of a of a new career for him, as it were. I, I, I was hoping to see things click, and he's still looking like he is acclimating to Big Ten basketball. I mean, take this game for example. He's, he had three fouls. In nine minutes, three turnovers. He did hit a three-pointer, but he just looks like a guy you can't trust right now. He plays he plays out of control. Um, doesn't look like he's confident in his own game. And it, when we're talking about Carr getting too many minutes, this is the exact type of player you need to be getting that, that, that you can trust with 15 minutes a game who's going to actually contribute. Yeah, I, I agree in that he's a player that absolutely needs to rely on and contribute. It's hard for me to tell whether or not he hasn't made that step. I do wonder, too, given Marcus Carr and Gabe Kalsher are going to play extensive minutes, I suspect that on some level the depth guys in the backcourt might be forcing it a little more than they necessarily have to. Especially because, I mean, look, you don't get to Big Ten basketball unless you were the star of your high school team. So you were on the court all the time. You were the one that people were looking at to make big shots. The offense was going to roll through you. And then moving to the college level and having to kind of adjust to that role, I think, is a little bit challenging. Some players adapt to it much better than others. I honestly think Trey Williams, I think Isaiah Enan, this is incidentally true for Isaiah Enan as well, are the kind of players who sort of need to be on the court for like 15 to 20 minutes just in order to get comfortable get in the flow of things they need to be playing a lot more minutes than right now frankly Richard Pitino is willing to give them I don't fault Richard Pitino for that for the reasons that you just mentioned it doesn't look right now like Trey Williams has been a player that Pitino seems like super confident in where I think there are positives for Trey Williams games in terms of effort not on the offensive side of the ball but on the defense side of the ball yeah, he had a couple of fouls in this game that weren't great, but he does give strong effort there, and I think it is a probably underplayed strength of this team that both of their usual two guards are good off the ball and on the ball defenders. That's going to be helpful. I'd like to see Trey Williams take a next step in his offensive game, if nothing else, just to look a little bit more comfortable out on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe that's you know working within an offense. Maybe that's running something to get him going to the basket. He's a reasonably decent slasher. But right now, it's hard, on the other hand, to say, do you want to keep Trey Williams out there when you have both Gotch, when you have Gabe Kalsher? If you want, you can go really big. So you could, you know, move around, have kind of an Eric Curry, Isaiah Enan situation going in. There's just a lot of options that Patino now has, especially at that three spot to play around with, that I think it's going to be harder for Trey Williams, if this keeps up, to get consistent minutes that he might need to really develop into the player that I think he's capable of. Another guy I'm uh, excited about, and I know it didn't show through in the box score tonight, but Brandon Johnson, I think, is closer to be to being a solid contributor throughout the season than he is to this five-foul guy we saw uh, tonight. I can tell he was frustrated, um, and I think that was more a, a product of the refs calling a very tight game and him kind of being the um, just having a few ticky-tack fouls come uh, be, being called against him. Um, I'm not a huge plus-minus guy, but for for what it's worth, in 19 minutes he was plus nine, which was the highest on the team tonight. And he just looks like a like a smart player. He can um, stretch the floor. You can tell he's confident in his game. And I'm not surprised given that he's a that he's a grad transfer. 
Um, but I'm really looking forward to, to him down low, being able to spell, um, uh, being, being able to spell some guys and, uh, and, and be that solid number four that we need him to be now that uh, Daniel Turo has gone. Absolutely. I think Brandon Johnson's your starter for the rest of the season. If for no other reason that as long as Liam Robbins is going to be your starter at center, and to be clear, Liam Robbins is your starter at center, until Eric Curry truly gets back to 100%, I don't know if it's that helpful to have two guys in the post who are not that fleet of foot. Brandon Johnson, as you mentioned, gives you the ability to go inside, you can go outside, so you can stretch the floor. He's definitely quite athletic, clearly a smart player. It looks like his teammates already really like him. He's going to provide that leadership at a top level. And here, to like not use sort of general lame motivational aphorisms, by leadership here, I mean that Brandon Johnson seems to be the kind of player who is going to be willing to go do work when he needs to go do work. So on the in the defense and the defense side of the ball, he's going to battle in the post. On the offensive side of the ball, he's going to set good screens. Those kinds of plays that you need from senior leadership, and you especially need it from upper class leadership from your bigs because that's a lot of not fun work in the game of basketball but I think Brandon Johnson absolutely seems to be a player who's capable of doing that so I'm looking forward to that I also will just throw out three games into the season the last transfer both gotch is going to be really good man he his length does not uh what do you want to say he he plays faster than he looks like he would play um he's so long uh, and I think you can tell that the, the, the defender is trying to guard him. All of a sudden he blows by him, and they're like, whoa, where'd that come from? He gets to the hoop in a couple steps, and his arms are so long, he's already laying the ball up. And while I'm not a big fan of his shot form, he's got some, he, he, he's got some great touch, um, and he hits free throws. I mean, I, I think this, that's going to be the biggest character change I think we'll see this year is this team at the free throw line. Um, it felt like tonight uh, that they weren't shooting very well from the line. I looked back and they shot 71%. So if that's a bad night for them, we're going to be in, be in okay shape. Um, and going back to Gotch, though, um, boy, he's he's going to be in Carr's, in Carr's shadow all season, but he's going to have some really sneaky, productive games where he's doing all of it because he can pass, he can rebound, he can shoot, and he can score near the hoop. Um, and when he's getting 30, 35 minutes a game, um, I think you're going to be seeing some some really high value out of him. I'll close with this. We mentioned on the Daily Gopher podcast, and you obviously should check that out as long as all of the various coverage that we will have at thedailygopher.com. But last week we mentioned on the Daily Gopher podcast, and when we started talking about predictions that on paper to when asked that this is a team that in any other year we'd expect to make the NCAA tournament. Through three games, I have no reason to doubt that to the extent that you can learn anything from non-conference games. No one's been injured. They've won all of them. So that's a success as far as I'm concerned. But you mentioned Gotch sort of being in Carr's shadow. I think it's very clear that Marcus Carr is the best player on this team. I don't think that's particularly debatable. What was not true last year for Minnesota is they never had a third, and importantly, really, they never even had like a third, much less a fourth option. Looking at this lineup and the players that have been brought in through three games, certainly Marcus Carr is going to be the guy who is going to go out and win you basketball games. But... What I'll close with here for you, Steve, is suppose Marcus Carr is not having a great night. Who is the next player that you expect who's going to step up and kind of run the offense? I think there's a reasonably good argument to say it's both Gotch. 
Oh, yeah. I, I think through three games, it's looking like he is the guy who the team trusts to have the ball. Um, I, I think you can make an argument for Gabe Kalisher. Uh, he has shown a great nose for the hoop. Um, he knows how to slash. He can get the job done. He knows how to get to the line, and he's a good free throw shooter. Um, I think Gotch has shown that his game has a, another dimension. Um, he's got that quick first step. He gets by guys, um, and, and, and again, that length uh, just allows him to convert a little more or convert a little easier. So I, th- I think we'll see Gotch be that second weapon um, in short order if he's not already that guy. Yeah, I'd like him to slash more uh, and drive more. The other thing that we, of course, would like you to do more is check out thedailygopher.com for all of your University of Minnesota sports takes, not only regarding to basketball. Uh, we will see you uh, next week. But until then, go Gophers, Sky Uma, row the patinos. <laughs>